And that's the question that drives me here uh, this evening as we think about dating, is what it might look like to establish some kind of framework, some kind of approach to dating that keeps us sober-minded in the midst of it so that we can avoid some of the more messy portions of a breakup. Breakups might happen, and that's okay, but they don't have to be Crimea River breakups. Can I just get an amen for that? Anybody who's ever been through a Crimea the River, let's just spare y'all. It's my heart. I want to spare you as many Crimea the River moments as possible in your dating life or your friend's dating life, should you be giving them advice. And so with that in mind, I want to jump into our topic here today of looking towards dating with a sober-minded perspective. And to tell you about that, uh, I'll, I'll kind of give you guys a little bit of the backstory in my uh, dating history. Um, so we'll just kind of start with my wife and the first time that my wife and I exchanged I like you's for the first time. Uh, it was February 3rd of 2002. And we were at Baylor University. Any Baylor University grads here today? Sikkim Bears, right there. Where else? Back here. I know my man Isaac. Okay. Sikkim Bears. It's in Waco, Texas, the pride of Waco, Texas. Uh, so we're at Baylor University at what used to be called Fountain Mall. I met my wife, Natalie. She had misquoted scripture on this uh, encouragement note she sent to me. Uh, Philippians 2, it's like, I thank my God every time I remember you and I pray for you. And the you there is supposed to be plural. It's basically in Texan. It would be, I thank my God for y'all. Because Paul's writing to the Philippians and she singularized the you. And because I'm a Greek exegete, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no heresy, even in the little encouragement notes. No, thank you. And so I called her up and I was like, Natalie, I noticed you misquoted scripture uh, when you baked me that, that plate of brownies. And I just want to know, what's the basis of this? Were you trying to be heretical? Uh, and Natalie was like, yes, I'm aware I misquoted it. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, so you're saying you had a greater purpose for your misquoting of scripture? And she said, yes, I did. I was like, well, I think we need to get together and get at the bottom of this. So uh, <laughs> what are you doing right now? She said, why don't you meet me at Fountain Mall, which was halfway, it's in the middle of campus. So I walked from my apartment on one side, her apartment on the other side, right to the middle of campus. And we sat down and we kind of said, okay, so you like me? She said, yes. I was like, okay, I like you. And so what are we going to do from here? What's the game plan? She was like, well, I think we should go on a date and kind of talk things through and set some boundaries and that kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, so we're going to start dating. And she was like, yeah. I was like, we're doing this. She said, yeah. And so we got up and I was like, let me walk you back to your apartment because I'm a gentleman. <laughs> so I walk her back to the apartment and the first phrase that comes out of my mouth now, here's what I'm thinking. Let me just say this. I have a problem, not really filtering through what I'm thinking. What I'm thinking is, the thing I like about you, Natalie, is that you're beautiful on the inside and the outside. Just consistent character all around, right? Just a high-value Proverbs 31 woman. That's what I'm thinking. But in the male brain, as it starts to come from here through my nasal passage, which had allergies into my mouth, for it to come out, I looked at her as we're walking and I said, you know what, Natalie? You're not the prettiest girl I've ever dated. <laughs> it gets worse. It gets much worse. So, you know, you're not the prettiest girl I've ever dated, but you'll do. And so we walk. She later tells me, she later tells me, is this my wrestling fan club here? Has that just happened? <laughs> They're like, it's the pile driver. Oh, no, don't do it, bud. Um, she later tells me she was walking going, did he just say that out loud in the universe? Right after I told him I liked him, what is happening in the world? 
So I want you to know that it started off with just a little bit of rockiness. I'm an imperfect dater, okay? So I'm giving dating advice today. I want you to know it started off uh, very imperfectly, okay? And, um, but uh, Natalie and I dated uh, for about a month, and then she broke up with me at spring break because uh, I liked her too much, and she wasn't sure about that. And she's like, well, I don't know if we're equally yoked in terms of our like for each other. And I was like, okay, whatever. A week later, we were dating again. We made it all the way through that next year. And the next uh, spring break, we, we both together led this mission trip in our college ministry to Mexico. So we're in a foreign country. And uh, I bre- chose to break up with her on that mission trip to Mexico. And here was my reasoning. I knew I wanted to marry her. And so I broke up with her. Right? Every girl in here is like... Every guy in here is like this. I get it. <laughs> I totally understand that. So we broke up uh, in Mexico and had a really awkward trip back. She was leading a team in Mexico. I was leading a team in Mexico. We were the team leaders. We'd have to gather every day and like, all right, let's pray. And she's like over there, oh, I thought it was the one. And I was over there like, this is really awkward. I have no, like there was no Google, so I couldn't Google. Like when you're an idiot and you break up with your girlfriend, like what do you do, Google? There's none of that. So I had to have the, the drive back. And then a week later, we were dating again. And uh, then we got engaged uh, June 12th of 2003, got married June 5th, 2004, uh, three weeks after we graduated from college. We've been married now. We're, we're celebrating 14 years this year, okay? 14 years of marriage, 16 years together, right? Our romantic or our love relationship is in high school. It's driving, right? It's 16 it's incredible. And along the way, we had a lot of ups and downs and things. And so, again, I tell you all those stories because uh, up front, I just want to be very clear. I'm not an expert. I've done a lot of dumb things. I've done some things right. So I'm going to try to bring that humility uh, to the table as we walk through the text. But at some point right before we got engaged, um, I had to have the talk with Natalie. You guys know what I'm talking about? I had to talk about the laundry list. You know what I'm talking about? It's the list of girls that I've dated before her. Like, she just was curious, and she was like, Doug, we're about to get married. Before we jump into this, I, I just need to know. Like, we've, we've kind of gone this far. I think I want to marry you. I love you. So I think I'm ready. I just need to know, like, what's the number, right? Um, she, she just was curious. Now, I'm a historian by training, okay? So um, even back then, I kept clean records. Like, I knew everything, right, of every, everything. I actually had this shoebox filled with a picture of every girl I'd ever dated, right? Because for some reason, I thought that was a good idea in 2002, right? And so I had this shoebox, and so I was like, okay, I'll bring over the shoebox. So I remember going to her apartment one day, and I was like, do you want to see pictures? Do you just want names? Do you want a number? Like, what's your demographic preference here on the history of Doug? And she was like, just give me the number. And I was like, 50. And she said, 50? And I said, yes, in high school. Yes, that was, that was 50. Now, I wasn't a Christian in high school, mind you. Um, but there were about 50 girls I went on at least one date with. Okay? So I'm just going to be very clear. 50 girls I went on a date with and just said, I'm interested in you. Are you interested in me? What do we think? Uh, and so 50 girls, and I was like, this is, this is what it was up to about age 18. And she was like, okay. She goes, uh, okay, and then what happened? And I said, well, um, I became a Christian in high school. And um, after a while, my student pastor found me and said, hey, Doug, um, I've noticed you keep bringing a lot of guests to church with you. And uh, while I like your evangelism, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm noticing they all happen to be female. 
And I was like, well, yeah, I'm kind of dating them when I bring them to church. It's kind of, you know, second date material. I want to know if they're going to, like, follow Jesus. And he goes, yeah, uh, funny thing. They all look like cocktail waitresses. Um, And not that I make any judgment here, but are they believers in Christ? And I was like, no, none of them are Christians. And he was like, okay, Doug, we need to have a talk. Um, (laughs) These are good people that God loves. I don't know that dating is the best way to do evangelism. But here's the thing. If you're going to follow Jesus... Uh, doesn't it make sense that you might want to start dating a girl who also follows Jesus? And it was the first time I heard this, and I just remember going, like light bulb. Like, I grew up in a non-Christian family. I had no context. I just thought if a girl's pretty and she was blonde, you dated her, right? That was what my dad told me. Like, no offense, brunettes and redheads and all that stuff. I'm just saying, what I learned is if she's pretty and if she's blonde, you should date her. That's what my dad told me from an early age. And I was like, okay, I just kind of followed that advice. Again, I didn't know any better. I didn't understand these things. And so, uh, so that was my thing in high school. And so my youth pastor told me that. And I was like, I'm not going to date anybody. Like, I need to reorient my whole world, uh, worldview on dating. So my whole freshman year of college, didn't date anybody. Went on a dating fast. Didn't shower. Didn't change my clothes. Grew out my beard and my hair. Just was this smelly, homeless person. Homeless people in Waco, Texas would walk up to me and give me money. That's how bad it was, okay? It got really, really bad. But that was, I was just, I was doing that because I was like, I don't want any distractions. I want to make myself as undateable as possible. And in my freshman year, I started doing research on this subculture of human uh, history called Christian women in America. Like I knew nothing about them. And so I did all this research. And then my sophomore year, I shaved the head and got cleaned up and, you know, not, not shaved the head, but like cut the hair and, you know, cleaned up and took showers and did my nails and all those things, right? Things you should do. And I decided I was going to go on dates with Christian women for the first time. It was a monumental thing for me. And so here's what I did. In the fall of uh, 2001, I'm a sophomore in college, I decided to set up a dating experiment, okay? Um, I noticed that at Baylor University, Baylor guys were not in a habit of asking out Baylor girls. True story, Baylor fan over here? Like, totally true. Baylor guys don't ask you out, right? Even if they like you, they probably hit you up on Facebook or they text or they, you know, something like that. True, right? I know Francesca may be here. She went to Baylor. Yeah, so I found this to be true. So I just posited that if this whole population of Baylor girls uh, felt like they weren't getting asked out enough, that, that likely meant that they were eager for at least a date. And since my male compatriots were not asking out the females, I thought, the odds are ever in my favor, Right? <laughs> If I ask a girl out, they're going to say yes. And so here's what I did. I said, I'm going to ask out. If I like a girl, uh, blonde, brunette, uh, redhead, whatever, right? I kind of moved on from that. I said, if a girl seemed attractive and I I thought she loved Jesus, I was going to ask her out on a date. Just if I saw her in a coffee shop, hi, would you like to go on a date? We don't know each other, but I noticed you're reading your Bible. I'm reading my Bible. I think we should read the Bible together in the same room. (laughs) Food should be present. This is what Acts 2 says for community. So thought this might be a thing. So, um... I I made up my mind ahead of time. My whole goal in this was to go on one date with every girl and tell them up front, it's just one date. I'm not proposing marriage. I'm not promising a second date. I just want to get to know you. I had a bank of questions. I wanted to ask all the girls. Uh, Because I uh, believed in science, I wanted to have a controlled environment. So I decided to take them to all the same restaurant. Um, And it was a tray joint, right? Which was not a lot of commitment. Like maybe $14 for the meal with tip. They could go to the buffet. It was a place called Super Salads. You know, you could go and you could get salads. You could sit down and have a good conversation. So I decided to do this. And um, I asked out 30 girls in the fall semester of 2001. And 22 said yes. 
And so I went on 22 first dates in the fall semester of my sophomore year, okay? I spent $384 on dates. That was my budget for the whole project. And I went on these dates with these girls, and I just got to know them. How are you? What are you looking for in a husband? What do you think dating is? This whole thing. And um, it was all going well through the first 10 girls, first 10 dates. It was great. Like, it was very clear up front. They were like, this is a little weird, but I don't have anything else to do. And it's Waco, so sure, that sounds great. Right? It's a free meal. Um, By about the 11th girl, I started to notice some, some problems. And it really dawned on me about date number 20 when I walked into church in a situation like this with my buddy Phil, and I'm walking down the aisle, and I look, and I go, oh. And I turn to my buddy Phil, and I say, "Uh, I've dated every girl in that row right there. (laughs) Um, I might have narrowed my pool a little too much, right? I I might have developed a problem. And I did. I developed this reputation as a Christian player, okay? Right? This is what girls would say about me. I would walk, and I would hear them in the distance. There's Doug Hankins. He's a player, right? And like, I have no idea. I'm like, what is a player? Like, does that mean I, they think I'm a good basketball player? Because I'll take that, but what is a player? And so um, I started asking these girls when I was on the date, hey, what does it mean that, that, that someone's a player? And they were like, oh, like you? And I was like, oh, no, right? So they would tell me a player, someone who plays the field, he dates several people. Well, um, this became problematic because um, in another way, I ended up, I found this out after the fact, I dated every girl in my wife's small group. It gets worse. Um, (laughs) I also ended up dating what I later found out was her roommate and her neighbor in the apartment complex. And so by the time I got to my wife and said, hey, I I got to the end of this thing and I built this profile of someone I wanted to date, I said, okay, who does this look most look like? What's the silhouette here? And I said, I think it's Natalie Cravey and I think I'm going to go after her. So I went to ask Natalie out the first time. She was like, no, I don't want to be a flavor of the week. And she shut the door, right? which was good for her. Let me just admit that. If my daughter did this, I would be very happy with her. But uh, so it took a little while. So here's what this means. When I'm, I'm having the conversation with Natalie about the laundry list, we're looking at 70 plus girls that I went on dates with. And as I was laying this out for Natalie, this, this thought just dawned on me. And it's a thought I want to bring to you guys' mind. With the idea of being sober-minded and going into dating with sober judgment, here's a statistic that may blow your mind. And here it is. You won't marry 99% of the people that you date. Anybody who's dated know this. You're not going to marry 99% of the people you date. Or that is to say, you're going to break up with, or they're going to break up with you, 99% of the people you go on dates with. And if that's the case, I, I just have to ask, why do so many of us, especially Christians, why do we date with marriage in mind? And here's what I mean. Why do we date assuming or moving forward only if we think this is going to be, or rather to say this, why do we date assuming that this is going to move towards marriage, right? What if instead we said, let's be sober-minded. I'm going to assume that this is probably going to end up uh, not working out. And I'm going to set my parameters and my guidelines and my expectations accordingly. And if, it, if God chooses to move and it moves towards Marriage, great, that's fine. We can still move forward. But what happens if we, in a sober-minded way, date with breaking up in mind? How does that change the way we think about the dating process? Let me pause here. Don't get me wrong. You should date with the idea that marriage is the next step. Okay? I'm not saying that. You shouldn't go into this going, well, I'm going to date and I have no purpose for this. You should date for the purpose of getting married. 
but that's very different from dating, assuming you're gonna get married. You see the difference here? So I wonder what happens if we suspend the assumption that you're gonna get married to anybody who agrees to go out with you and instead assume, hey, we're probably gonna break up and that should color the way we date. Because I think once we think that way, it's gonna move us towards a more sober-minded approach to dating. And it's gonna line up really well with what the Apostle Paul calls this agape view of love. If you were here last week, the agape view of love says this. Love that God demonstrates to us is first, it's a perspective that finds its way into actions and that as a third order of a priority may result in some feelings or emotions. And this is a very sober approach. So what does it look like if we're gonna let the agape view of love Keep us sober-minded in a dating relationship. That's what I want to explore here today. And we're going to explore that reading from 1 Corinthians 13. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up, or uh, it should be on the screen here that you guys uh, can read. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting verse 4. Justin read it earlier. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not, irrefuta- or it's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love, agape, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So here's my question. What does it look like to date with an agape view of love in mind? To move away from an eros view in mind, to move away from a romance view in mind, and to date with an agape view of love in mind. I think 1 Corinthians gives us two things. It gives us some some guardrails or some guidelines, and it also gives us some principles to consider. And so I wanna look at those in turn. First the guardrails, and then the principles. So we're gonna go here. First first three are this. Um, Number one, Agape love is going to guard us against, if we're reading this right, it's going to guard us against impulsiveness in dating. Impulsiveness in dating. Paul says love is patient and kind. Patience is the opposite of uh, impulsivity. Okay? And any of you that have ever been shopping, maybe on a Black Friday, understand this situation. Or any of you who've gone into Target just to look around. I'm not saying this is women, but I do see a lot of women in Target. Now, why am I there? Because I'm shopping. But... This is the point. Let's stay on point. Many of you know this impulse buying. You've heard this before. You walk into Target and you're like, um, you're like, okay, listen, I just need some Clorox wipes, right? It's flu season. I just need Clorox wipes. Joanna Gaines has a new collection. Well, I should look around, right? And so you go over and you look and you're like, yeah, I don't have, my, my towels are off white. These are pure white. I need those, right? And you do the impulse buy and you take it home. And then later you get the credit card bill and you're like, oh, oh why did I impulse buy, Right? There's these uh, interesting parallels between impulse buying and impulse dating. And here's what I mean. Many of us who go into dating with this uh, romance view of love in mind, we get into the date, they say, yeah, I want to keep dating. You get to the third date, the fourth date, and finally it's official. You make it Facebook official or Instagram official or whatever you do, right? And you're now dating this person. And if you're a believer, if you're someone who's following Jesus, you go, okay, well, you know, I only date to move towards marriage. So now you're assuming you're going to get married. And once you begin assuming you're going to get married to this person, you haven't really thought it through. You just kind of assume it's there. And you're trying to move towards this romantic ideal of love. Then you find yourself slipping a little bit physically. This is how it typically tends to go. Like, well, I'm going to marry this person. So it's okay if we went a little too far last night. Well, I'm going to marry this person. So it's okay if we just kind of kiss a little bit more. 
okay, I, I'm going to marry this person eventually, so it's okay if we Netflix and chill, right? I'm going to marry this person. You begin to justify your behavior. Why? Because you're being impulsive in your dating relationship. Um, you probably get to this point. Here's how you know that maybe you're dating with a romance view in mind and maybe not an agape view in mind. It's whenever you start having this philosophical conversation with yourself. Well, how far is too far, right? I mean, I mean, if it's here, but, you know, not here, that's fine. I remember having this conversation. There was this guy uh, that I was mentoring uh, at a church, and um, he was asking me, he's like, hey, pastor, how far is too far? And I was like, well, uh, how do you answer this? He's like, well, I, we've set up a good rule. We know that having sex when you're not married is probably not a good thing. It's not healthy. And I was like, well, you know, I think Jesus would tend to agree with that. And I said, so what's your approach? He's like, well, I told my girlfriend we only limit it to having sex twice a week. No more than that, right? I just think that's the way to keep Jesus first. And I was like, hmm, okay. Like I'm looking through my seminary textbooks. When someone says this, how do you respond? I have no, okay. And so some of you are laughing at this, but hey, this is how many of us approach this because when we're dating with a romantic view in mind, the impulsivity comes along with that view of romance and we never know how far is too far and all this. So here's what Paul says. Hey, if you're gonna approach dating with agape, remember, agape is patient and kind. It's patient. Um, it waits 24 hours before it makes a purchase, okay? Man, I really want that iPhone X. Do you know what? I'll wait 24 hours. Maybe if I go to sleep, that desire will go away. Man, I really, really want to just like make out in probably inappropriate carnal ways with my significant other. But you know what? Love is patient. The way that God loves me is with a patient love. So I'm going to try to demonstrate patient love in this dating relationship. So I'm going to wait 24 hours before I pick up that idea again. One of the things 1 Corinthians 13 does is it guards us against impulsiveness in dating. Number two, it guards us against dating FOMO. Dating FOMO. In 1 Corinthians, especially in verse uh, 5 or verse 4, it says this, Love or agape does not envy or boast. Envious. Love does not become envious. It doesn't look to the side at who's dating who and go, you know what? They have a relationship. I want a relationship. They're dating. I should date. They're dating him and they're getting here and he's buying that. Okay, I want someone to do that for me, right? There's no comparison game that goes on with an agape view of love. And you guys know this, right? Uh, you know that there is this sense of keeping up with the Joneses that happens in your friendship circles. Maybe if you haven't figured that out, just know that may happen soon. I'm just giving you a warning. All the girls, you're together. Anytime you go to the club, you're like, I I'm not going after the guys today. We just need to get in a circle and dance, right? You just get out there and you're like, no, no guys today. I'm just dancing with my girlfriends, right? Your girls, you're together. Your girl squad, you're like secrets of the Yaya sisterhood. Yeah, yeah, right? You're just there together. <laughs> You know, just sisters for life, sisters from another mister. You're all getting tattoos, right? You just know what you're doing, right? You're all together. Then that first one, she kind of veers from the pack. And you're like, oh, I don't know, where's Sally? I don't know where Sally is. Where is she at, right? I don't know where Sally is. You're texting her, like, where's Sally? We were supposed to go out on the town. What's happening? We're here. We're at the location. Where's Sally? Sally finally texts back, and she's like, oh, sorry. I uh, had a date tonight. And then you get back at the group, and the group's like, yes, yeah, so Sally's on a date. Okay, yeah, man, can't believe she left us. She, yeah, this is just terrible. Secretly, all of you are thinking, I have to date now, right? 
It's an arms race. Sally has moved on to the great beyond, and so we have to keep up with her. So Sally goes, and then the next thing you know, Jessica goes, and then the next thing you know, Ashley goes, and pretty soon it's just the one of you, and you're there. You show up at the event by yourself. Now you're single. You're alone. All your friends are dating. They're posting on social media all the time. Selfie, relationship selfie, and you're looking at them, and you're getting a little envious, okay, right? And now you're really tempted to just, the next person that comes, you're like, are you breathing? You, come on, let's go. <laughs> this is the last helicopter out of Vietnam. Got to jump on board. All my friends are off. I know how this works. I don't want to be left behind. I've seen the Kirk Cameron movie. Not being left behind here, okay? <laughs> Seriously, we get dating FOMO, right? And Paul says this, no, 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 no. That's the romantic view of love. No, 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 that's Eros love. This is agape love. Love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not bragging about its relationships so its friends understand that. It's not looking left and right to see who is doing what with whom. It says, I'm going to pursue a love that is rooted in who God is. As long as I got Jesus, I'm fine. I don't need to date in order to keep up with the Joneses. And I'll, let me just go ahead and tell you guys this, because you may not know that. I don't know how many of you guys are, maybe you're here and you're married, divorced, whatever, but maybe you have kids, I don't know. But let me just tell you, the, the keeping up with the Joneses, the conspicuous consumption of life, it doesn't stop at dating. Because let me just fast forward a little bit to my world. Yeah, suburban dad life. Let me tell you about this. Here's what happens. You go, okay, I'll move with everybody. We'll start dating. And then the first person gets engaged and you're like, crud, I got to get engaged now, right? Like, okay, I love this girl. I, hope, I was hoping I'd put engagement off, but okay, I'll get engaged. So you get engaged, you invest in the ring, you put it on, and then you get married and all your friends are getting married. And you're like, okay, cool. We're young married people. This is awesome. Yeah, we're just going to like go out on the town Double income, no kids. We're dinking it up in Orlando. We're living the life. We all have annual passes. This is so much fun. We're taking selfies as couples now, and the first one gets pregnant, and you're like, crud, right? There's a whole new game I have to play. So they get pregnant, and you're like, okay, now it's this arms race. It's like a sex arms race, which is really weird. Like at some point, your spouse is going, she has two kids. We have none. What's going on? We're behind. Let's go see if we can have three at once just to move ahead, right? You're just, oh my gosh. And so you move forward and you have the first kid. They have two, you have two, they have three. And you're like, do I really want three? We're becoming a basketball team at this point. Like, have we thought this through, right? Okay, and then they stop having kids and you're like, oh, okay, good. Gosh, I can just catch my breath. And then you start having this conversation. So where are they going to school? You're like, oh, really? And it's a whole new world. Like, oh, you're going to, you're going to public school? Okay, that's cool. We're going to private school, we're going to home school, we're going to this new school, it's a magnet school, we're sending our kids to Mars, right? <laughs> if you guys wanna do that school, that's fine. And now you have the education race and the sports race, they're playing soccer, they're doing ballet, right? And it never ends, then they graduate. I'm not there yet, but I've been told. Then they graduate, where's your kid going to college? Oh no, right? My kid doesn't wanna to go to college, it's just not for them. Oh, okay, I see how your parenting style was. And it just, <laughs> It never ends, I'm telling you. So here's the thing, keep in mind right now, before you enter into that world of dating, can I just tell you this, as a suburban dad who's warning you from the front lines of this, love, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it doesn't play the comparison game, okay? It just says, I'm gonna do what God wants me to do, you guys do what God wants you to do, and we're gonna be okay, okay? We're gonna be okay. Number three, it guards against dating for affirmation. It guards against dating for affirmation. Paul writes 
love, agape, does not insist on its own way, okay? It doesn't think about self first. It doesn't say, I'm going to this to get some kind of affirmation for myself. I mentioned this earlier. There's this temptation in dating, or if you're single, especially if all your friends have kind of moved on, they're engaged, they're married, whatever, and you're the last one in your friend group, and you're like, I don't know, when's it going to happen to me? When's it going to happen? And there's that one guy that likes you way more than you like him, like, every time you show up to church, he's like, can I get you a coffee? And you're like, oh, yes, right? And you go sit with your friends, right? But you don't sit with him, and he's always texting, wanting to know what you want to do, and you're having, the, like, Christian conversation with him. Eh, I'm just not that into you, right? I love you as a brother in Christ, but it's not that Jesus created the friend zone, but if he did, you would be there, right? You're having that conversation with him, maybe not that directly, but you're at least thinking it and telling your other girlfriends, and they're kind of having that conversation with you, Right? And so at some point, it's him and it's you, and you feel like Tom Hanks on the island, and he's Wilson, and you're like, this is as good as it gets. I guess so, right? That's the most romantic way you could say this. Listen, I guess so, right? And so you start dating, and every time he pays for everything, and you go out, and you just are not that into him, right? But you don't have anything else to do, so you're like, he says, you know, you want to go out again? And you're like, Ugh, I guess so, Right? And this happens for months, and now he's getting ideas, and you're like, oh, I don't want to keep up with the Joneses and all this stuff. Hey, listen, you're not dating so that you can feel good about yourself. It's not what it's set up for. Let me tell you this. There, there's, there's something worse than being alone. You know what the only thing worse than being alone is? Being in a relationship and still being alone, right? Being in a relationship, still being lonely. Agape love doesn't say that. Agape love says it does not seek its own. Agape love's not in it for you. You don't get into a relationship so you can have affirmations. You can post in a relationship status on Facebook and everybody can like it and comment and go, congrats, finally, we were worried about you. We've all been here at the ski lodge and you know, we've, you've always been our fifth wheel, right? You don't need that, okay? Here's what you need to know. I know what God wants for me. I'm following him. He's writing my story. Okay, that's it, right? This is my story. I can't live your story. God didn't put me on earth to live your story. Put me on earth to live my story. I don't want to live your story, okay? I'm going to live the story God has for me. And the story God has for me puts him at the middle of my life. He's the one who's driving my car. I'm in the pastor seat, the car of my life. And that's okay because God has what's best for me. And I would rather have what's best than what I can control, right? And so 1 Corinthians 13, agape love, it guards us against impulsiveness in dating, against dating FOMO, and against dating for affirmation. Well, these are the guardrails. Here are the principles in light of that that I would just want to give to you in light of 1 Corinthians 13 and those guardrails. And I just want to admit, these are, these are principles I'm going to give to you. They're not inerrant. They're not inspired. God's word is inspired. This is just some practical recommendations for you guys. It's a pastor who loves you and wants you to, to live all that God wants for you in your life. And so here's some four things I've just been thinking about. Number one, Keep in mind that dating is a life management issue. Dating is a life management issue, okay? A lot of us, especially if we've grown up in church, um, there've been two things that have happened. Um, number one, we've read or seen a lot of Disney movies about princesses and princes, and that's informed our view of dating and the dating process. And secondly, we've kissed dating goodbye, and we've talked about courtship, and we've tried to be really, like, serious and somber and sober-minded about dating. And so we, have, we bring this expectation into the dating relationship that it's going to be this merger between Cinderella 
and a courtship that ends in marriage, right? And so we go into this thinking it's just going to happen. It's going to be magical and it's going to happen, right? And I, I want to tell you something up front um, with all love and respect. This is my opinion on this. So just, I want you to hear this with love. It's not going to just happen. It's not. It's going to happen if you make it happen. Okay? And I'm not saying God doesn't work. I'm not saying he doesn't lead and he doesn't call and there isn't some sense of responsibility. But keep in mind that dating is a life management issue. You've got to prioritize dating if it's going to happen. Um, I talk to people all the time, um, especially people who are my age, <clears throat> maybe just a little bit younger, especially if they're single adults, some of our single adults here who are just wonderful believers. I should just mention that, valuable members of our church family. Uh, but some of them who are still maybe longing to date and haven't jumped into that process again, I ask them from time to time, when you were in college or when you were younger, was dating one of your top priorities? And almost exclusively, they tell me no. They say, getting a career or doing this or finding myself or something else was a top priority. And that's a, that's a really good picture of what I mean by this. If you're going to date and get married, it's going to have to be a priority. And it's going to have to be probably a top three priority. Okay? If you're in college and you're here today and you're thinking, I'll date people after college, keep in mind, college is the best time for you to find somebody because your population is huge and you're all homogenous. If, if marriage and dating is a priority for you, make it a priority in college. My wife uh, jokes around with me that she went to Baylor uh, to get her MRS degree, okay? In fact, in Baylor, there's this phrase, ring by spring, right? And girls there are pretty aggressive. And I don't mean in a, like, immoral way. I mean, they're just very strategic about the way that they post up at different events, right? No girl walks into an event and just goes, you know, I, I hope a guy comes, talk, come and, comes and talks to me. I'm going to wrap a cloak around myself and sit over here in the corner behind a plant and just, you know, if it's the right one, God will lead him to me. No girl at Baylor seems does that. Girls at Baylor are like walking to the party and they're like, okay, let me scan the room. Okay, yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. There's 10 guys I would date in here right now. So here's the priority order. Wing girl, come over here. We're going to go over and we're going to see these 10 people. Uh, I'm wearing this dress and it's popping. And uh, I got this necklace here, and it, it just perfectly complements my face and my new haircut. And uh, so we're going to go in order. So I want you to introduce me in this order. And they text them the order. And girls walk up, and they're just like, boom, 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 right? There's a strategic way that you go about this process. And all I'm just trying to tell you here today is if dating, if marriage is something you want to do, it's not going to just happen to you. You're not a passive participant in your own marriage journey. You've got to be proactive about this. You've got to, it's a process you're going to have to manage. And that leads us to um, number two. I just mentioned it. Dating requires proactivity. <coughs> Dating requires proactivity, okay? You're going to have to be proactive. You're going to have to set a strategy in place. Um, you're going to have to think it through on a level, okay? You're going to have to be proactive. Number three. The only thing, I'm sorry, number three, uh, breaking up is hard, but it's healthy. Breaking up is hard, but it's healthy. Again, the probability of you moving into the dating experience, even if you've got agape love driving your process, is that the vast probability is you're going to break up with them, okay? Uh, it's just part of the human experience. And I tell you that because I think, again, in Christian circles, you kind of have this naive view of dating where you're just going to like show up into a life group one day and you're going to look across the room wistfully and he's going to look up and a fan's going to turn on and his hair's going to start blowing, right? And you're going to just be drawn to one another, right? You're going to forget how to walk. You're going to be like, okay, what's going on here, right? 
and then suddenly someone's like, let me turn on music, right? And it's like the Justin Timberlake soundtrack, and you just kind of move together, right? And you're like, how are you? I'm well, how are you? Beleza mano, right? You're just like, I'm good, I'm good. I'm, it's beautiful, it's all beautiful. And you talk, and you're like, can I have your number? Yes. And you're like, can I have your number? Yes. And you put it in the phone, and 24 hours later, you both text each other at the same time, and it's a cool experience. You're like, oh, it's a sign. We're going to get married. And then in six months, you're married, right? I think a lot of us think this is how it's going to be, right? We've got one bullet in our gun. I shoot it one time. They, she says yes. We go on a date. And that's the end of the story. It might be the case. It might. But my observation of dating culture is that this is an outlier, Okay. There are a lot of people who, maybe some of our adult leaders who are here, and they can tell you that was it. They showed up, they met, it was it, right? And God does that. I wouldn't plan on that, though. What I would plan on pragmatically is that, hey, I might go on single dates or double dates or something like this with a few different people. Nothing physical happens. We're just trying to get to know one another, and the chemistry's not right, and the character's not right, and the competency is not right. Like, we're not just, we're not clicking until maybe you find the right person. Because here's what's going on, especially as young adults. You're still figuring out who you are. They're still figuring out who they are. And sometimes it just, it takes a while to all line up. But it's not going to all line up on its own. You're going to have to have a plan. You're going to have to be proactive. And you're going to have to realize that breaking up is going to be part of it. And so I think the goal in dating is to minimize the pain of breakups, okay? I'm going to break up with a person. It's going to be hard, but it's helpful because I can't keep dating this person because I think maybe God might have someone else for me, and I need to be available for that should God bring that my way. And I need to, at some point, think through things and try to make myself available again. Finally, the fourth thing is this. Marry the person who helps you do the most ministry. Marry the person who helps you do the most ministry. Marry the person who helps you do the most ministry. The reason I put this one last is I think this is the sequence that most of us are probably going to go through. Okay? We're going to set a plan in place. We're going to be proactive. Um, we're going we're to join eHarmony. We're going to join Match. Why? Because 50% of the people who will get married in this year met online somewhere. It's true. Statistically, 50% of the people who get married this year met online. And let's be really honest. Everything's degrees of, of e-harmony right now. Okay, you meet someone in a physical building. How many of you are like, let's go physically see each other again? No, we text, we snap, we Instagram. We, we talk on Facebook Messenger. That's how we, we communicate. There's like a whole, there's this whole new phase of talking. You guys know about this? You're like, hey, what's going on with you and Sally? Oh, we're talking. Cool, how long you been talking? Seven years, right? <laughs> So when I take my time and be sober-minded, right? Okay, well, cool. Are you talking in person? No, exclusively on Snapchat. We just send each other snaps. Snapchat hasn't been around for seven years. Yeah, we're really advanced, right? <laughs> That's just how that works. Well, what happens if you're having all this digital communication? Isn't that eHarmony, right? The only difference is maybe you met in person. Get on eHarmony. Increase the population. Increase the percentages. Increase the people you know. We have tons of different young adult things around Orlando at other churches. Is it bad for you to go to these other churches and meet people? No, it's great. In fact, I would just be upfront. Hey, I love you guys as brothers and sisters in Christ. One of you might become my wife. So I think I, I should just be here and hang out with you guys and just, you know, see what happens, right? I think that's the most honest thing you can say. Why? Because every person there is thinking the exact same thing, right? If people from other churches want to come be, fellowship with our church, great. Right? Again, 
I think it's great to be proactive and have a plan, but once you go through that process of being proactive, increasing the population, having a plan, figuring things out, breaking up, going on dates, it doesn't work out, awkward conversations, I think you're going to figure out something. You're going to have a light bulb moment. Hey, the goal in all of this isn't to fulfill myself. It's not to um, make me feel good or keep up with the Joneses or just have something fun to do on a Friday night in Orlando. The goal of this is to find a partner in ministry. Marriage is ministry partnership. It's the most extreme form of discipleship, right? It's two believers walking next to each other, um, helping one another out, right? A wife is actually someone who's called a helpmate in the Bible. And so what you're looking for in an ultimate person is someone you can do ministry with, right? It's someone when you're married and you have kids, you serve together. You go on mission trips together. You do evangelism together. You disciple people in your homes. You have people over your homes all the time and you cook food just so you can teach them about Jesus and study the Bible together. That's the goal. The, the thing you need most to remember with this is you're not trying to find the perfect person. You're trying to find the most helpful person. Can I say that again? You're not trying to find the perfect person you're trying to find the most helpful person. In many cases in the Christian church, the perfect is the enemy of the helpful. And so here's the thing. Find the person who's most helpful in you guys doing ministry together. And as soon as you find them, as soon as you know sufficiently that they have what's there, by all means, start pursuing marriage. And come talk to one of us. We would love uh, to help you think through some of those uh, situations if you find yourself uh, there. Let me finish by telling you guys the rest of the story, and then the band's going to come up and play. Um, I told you guys about how we started dating, me and Natalie. Uh, I told you about kind of the process towards the end, right before we got engaged. Uh, but this is not ultimately a message about any of those points. This is a message really about the first three dates. How do you start dating with agape love in mind? And so I want to just tell you from our experience what it was like for us. Um, <clears throat> so I asked Natalie out. Uh, for the first time, told her that she'll do on February 3rd, 2002. We went on our first date February 4th, 2002. Went to Johnny Carino's. Um, do you guys remember Carino's? I don't think it's in existence anymore. Maybe it is. I don't know. So it's an Italian food joint, and, um, you know, we both got ravioli, and we sat in the booth, and uh, I dressed up, she dressed up, and we sat down. And we said, okay, let's set up our guidelines for dating. I want to know boundaries, I want to know goals, I want to know accountability. Let's, let's just set this whole thing up so that we can move forward. I didn't use the term sober, but just move forward in a wise manner. And she was like, okay. So um, what you should know in the backstory is I had previewed this conversation with my life group the day before. Uh, I was like, dudes, I'm going out with Natalie tomorrow. I want you guys to hold me accountable. We're going to set up our guidelines I want you guys to hold me accountable to it. I'm going to come back and give you a full report. I want to be completely transparent with you guys. Now, here's the thing about my life group. When we asked each other to hold one another accountable, um, there was a penalty if you, um, if you uh, reneged on that uh, promise you made to the group. So if you said, I want you to hold me accountable in X, and then you ended up doing X, all the guys in the group got to take turns kicking you in the crotch. <laughs> yeah, we were hardcore. We were also very dumb. We didn't understand fertility and things like that. So, <laughs> Consequently, we had huge fertility issues, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> anyway, yes, I was dumb. Um, so I told them, hey, uh, I'm going to go on this date with Natalie, and one of the things I'm going to set forth in our dating relationship is that we shouldn't kiss un unless God moves us to a point where we're going to get married. And they were like, 
that's dumb, but okay. They're like, I think you're dumb for that, but if you want to do that, go for it. See, I'd read this book that said you shouldn't kiss until you get married, and I thought that's what Christians did. Again, I didn't know that there were kind of variances on this issue, and we can talk about this issue in the Q&A, but I just thought this is, what Chris, this is the code language Christians use in dating. So I just imagined myself sitting at the table telling Natalie that and her going, this is the man for me, right? You have honored me today on this day, our first date, the most holiest of days in the year. I just thought she was going to be thrilled with this. So we're sitting there in Johnny Carino's. We're eating our ravioli. We're talking through things. I don't think we should, uh, you know, uh, ever, like, lay down together on the couch in any, any, either one of ours apartment. Good rule. Okay. I don't think we should ever do anything after 10 o'clock. Nothing good happens after 10 o'clock. Good rule. Okay. I don't think we should kiss until we, uh, until God may, or unless God moves us towards marriage. And she goes, yeah, I'm not on board with that, but if you want that, that's fine. And I was like, I'm an idiot. I am an idiot. <laughs> and so all I could think to myself was, I'm going to have to go back to my life group and tell those guys I want to kiss my, my girlfriend and um, endure the pain of that moment. And so I told Natalie about this, and she was like, gosh, you're an idiot. Why am I dating you? No, she didn't say that, but she thought that internally. So... Um, <laughs> That's what we did. We set that forth. I went back to my life group. I begged them for mercy. Said, I'd like to kiss her maybe one day. Can you guys forgive me? And they were like, yeah, we're not going to kick you because none of us would have lived up to that. That just seems like really like strange. So they gave me all this mercy and that was great. And I didn't kiss her for like two months. So I just want you guys to know that. Um, But we went on that date, went on the second date, went on the third date. And by that point we said, hey, we're dating. And we kept those guidelines in place and by God's grace, we remain pure in our dating relationship. Um, it got really hard. It got really difficult, like at different points, because Natalie's very attractive, and I'm, you know, pretty good looking. And <laughs> it's not like I have a switch and can turn this off. And so, you know, sometimes it was like a mosquito coming to a mosquito kind of catcher there. Just, no, it wasn't really that. It was the other way around. Um, it was very difficult, uh, but we made it through. And the reason I tell you guys this story is to say this. Listen, as you're thinking about dating in a sober way, I want to tell you from my experience, it may be one man's story, but from one one man's experience, it can be done. We have tons of leaders in this room who dated the same way, and they have, you know, success stories and failure stories, and they would tell you it can be done. And so if you're someone who's here today, and you're thinking about dating, and you're going, wow, this is a radical shift from erotic love to agape love, let me just tell you, dating in an agape way, it can be done, and it can be satisfying, and it can be fruitful. And maybe it ends up in marriage and maybe it ends up with you realizing, I don't think marriage is for me. But either way, you get to follow Jesus and have a satisfying life on the other side of that. I don't subscribe to the idea that marriage is somehow this cure for the problem of singleness. This is not. Marriage is a unique discipleship relationship that God calls some people into. But others he calls into singleness. So on the other side of dating, maybe that's singleness for you. And you know what? Singleness was good enough for Jesus. I think it could be good enough for many of us in this room. And singleness is the issue that I want us to talk about in two weeks when we gather back together again. So if that's something you're thinking about, I want to encourage you uh, to come back in two weeks as we talk about that. Let's pray. Jesus, um, I thank you for 1 Corinthians 13 and the picture it gives us, the value system it gets us uh, for dating. Maybe you be the kind of people in this room who as we approach dating, we approach it with sober-mindedness so that it can color a healthy and pure and productive dating relationship that either moves us towards marriage or moves us to break up 
both of those for the glory of God and for the good of us and for the good of the people of Orlando. Would you make us, God, uh, into the best displayers of agape love in Orlando? Again, for your glory, for our good, and the good of Orlando. And as we sing this song, would you receive it as an offering to your name? It's in your name we pray. Amen.